I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and we will go into details about the topics we discuss, so if you haven't read, listened to, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. This time around, green-skinned Goliath, skin-headed mad scientist, Chuck's out at D.C., but Chuck's in at Wildstorm. A swinger worries about the shellhead. Movie moment... Movie moments that make magic, random ramblings, rabid reviews, muties having babies, and the voice. All this and more on the 19th, and sadly there's nothing really funny about the number 19. The 19th episode of the podcast that means well, the Major Spoilers Podcast, is on the air. Excellent. Welcome, everyone, to our little Woo! show that we like to do for you every week. Uh, why don't we just go ahead and get into our top stories this week? I think there's a lot of little touching talking points that I find interesting. Last week uh, set off a firestorm of, of gossip and rumor across the interwebs when Chuck Dixon posted over at his uh, forum site, Dixon Universe, I think it's .net, uh, he said, essentially, I'm no longer working at DC in any capacity. And that's all he said. Now, through the week, he's let out some other cryptic messages uh, to the point where he's essentially saying it's not politics. Uh, he says he's worked under some very uh, heavy handed editors before, but he'd rather, you know, when he was working with Jim Shooter, uh, uh, the current regime makes Jim Shooter's regime look like a hippie compound <laughs> and a oh, bunch wow. of other nice things. It just makes you wonder what the heck is going on uh, with the situation between Chuck Dixon and DC. Now, both have said, or both have declined to comment exactly what the specific factors are, but I'm going to hazard a guess that it has to do with our good friend Grant Morrison mucking up everything that's going on at DC and a bunch of editors who don't know how to rein him in. Hmm. Well, there's a definite, I mean, there's a definite feeling right now at DC that it is an editor-driven, an event-driven um, I don't want to say reality, but an event, an event-driven sort of uh, paradigm going on. We're, I mean, we're moving towards big things, and your characters have to be in the proper position, no matter what stories you may want to tell with Robin. Two weeks down the line, Robin may be, you know, a one-eyed guy on a planet, like you know, Salvation Run. Yeah, but he that could would totally be. suck. Maybe so, you know, if if I was a writer and someone came up to me and said, uh, "Guess what? Next month." We're uh, canceling the Robin book, and he's going to become Batman when we kill off Batman in the uh, Rest in Peace uh, or R.I.P. storyline that, uh, you know, our, our golden child is writing. However, we do have to kill Batman in a particular way to make sure that Robin is clear across the world when that happens. Yes. Or, you know, what's even better, how about we have uh, all these issues that take place in Final Crisis and tie-ins come out before Final Crisis comes out? And hey, why don't we throw in all the villains that are supposedly off on this other planet before the final issue of Salvation Run comes out? That makes perfect sense, right? Yeah. I mean, so I don't know. I, I have a feeling if, if and when the true story of, of why uh, Dixon and DC have parted company I, I have a feeling I'm going to side on, on Chuck Dixon's side. I like this stuff on Nightwing. And, and I like what he's it. doing on, on Robin. I mean, bringing back Spoiler in just, you know, one page. Oh, yeah, I was dead, but uh, that's not right. I was still alive. <laughs> Turns out it didn't take. Yeah. Matthew, thoughts? Um, I think that Chuck is one of those creators that I've always, you know, imagined and gleaned is very self-confident and very centered in what he wants to do. And he's not going to take flack from somebody and he's not necessarily going to 
be the person you want to write the book if you're giving him all the story beats. Right. You know, your, your characters have to be here, here, and here. Chuck doesn't strike me from what I've read and from what I've read of his work as the kind of person who'd be interested in writing a book like that. I, but I think, though, he, he would be a team player that says, okay, if this is the way it has to go for the greater mm-hmm. story, then fine. But I, I don't know. It just seems a little weird. Yeah. What about uh, – I don't know if you guys saw John Favreau's uh, comments over at his MySpace page where essentially he says, hey, uh, you know, people are saying that this Iron Man 2 movie is coming out. <laughs> no one's approached me about doing it, so uh, nice. I'm a little concerned about that. And there's some talk about some money issues where Marvel doesn't want to ante up a little bit more money for, for John now that he's made a big blockbuster hit. And then there's rumors that Marvel is saying, well, it's Iron Man. People will go see a sequel. We don't need this director. Well, I think mm-hmm. I think what's going on right now is they're dancing. I mean, John Favreau is like, uh, you know, hey, the fans, Marvel hasn't done anything for me. And the fans are like, no, we love John Favreau. And Marvel's like, well, actually, we were thinking about it. It's like, yay, Marvel, you're creator-driven. We love you. Right. Like, right now, it, it feels to me like Marvel and John Favreau are just kind of pointing the fans at each other. Well, and I guess if you've got a rabid fan base, that's the way to do it. I mm-hmm. mean, there's well, certainly uh, other people in other media uh television shows that are using the media and the press to air their dirty laundry with each other. Oh, yeah. So I'm sure this is kind of happening here to just try to to get that extra edge when it comes to give me another $10 million for this movie. Yeah. Speaking of movies, The Hulk smashed into the box office this past Hulk weekend. box office. Now, interestingly, Arr. interestingly, uh, it did not make as much as the Ang Lee Hulk movie did in its opening weekend. Only hmm. made $55.4 million or something like that in its first movie. Uh, Ang Lee's Hulk made $61 million in its first weekend. But it still took the number one uh, spot at the box office last weekend. And Rodrigo and I went and saw it. Hmm. And I got to tell you, I enjoyed this movie immensely. I was surprised. I mean, it's it's action. It's not It's not a thinking piece like, Maybe Iron Man was a little bit more cerebral than what the Hulk was. But you know what? I came out of the theater and I was like, how long was that movie? And I looked at my watch and I was like, wow, that was a two-hour movie and it did not feel like a two-hour movie. And I got to say, I love how the director was able to make homages to the original series from, you know, when David Banner, or I'm sorry, Bruce Banner is changing into the Hulk. You know, they do that. Uh, light slash across his eyes as his eyes turn green. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's actually a point where, um, uh, you know, you've got Lou Ferrigno in there making a cameo, Lou Ferrigno providing the voice for the Hulk. Uh, probably one of the best cameos by Stan Lee Stan I've Lee. ever seen in a movie. Yeah. And then you've got, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, David, uh, David, uh, the original guy, the Hulk. Um, what was his name, Matthew? Bill Bixby. Bill Bixby. That's his name. They even had a cameo of him in the in the show when uh, they're down in Brazil and and uh, Bruce Banner's flipping through the television and you see this courtship of Eddie's father piece flash up. I was like, oh, that's that's kind yeah. of a nice little little tie in there to everything else. But man, this was an action packed movie, and I thought it, the pace was was smart. I thought that the story was believable and reasonable. Mm-hmm. I just I thought it was excellent. Oh yeah. It 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 was really well paced, I thought. I mean, I, just like you, I didn't like this one as much as Iron Man. There there's just something about Iron Man that I really really liked. Yeah. Um 
although I, I love the Hulk as a character. Um, but it felt great. You know, it's it, everybody in this movie kicks butt. Um, the Hulk kicks ass. Uh, Bruce Banner kicks butt in his own way. Actually, he's, you know, through his meditation technique, he ma- actually yeah. manages to learn some martial arts and stuff. You know, it's, yeah. it's cool the way that he defends himself. Um, you know, General Ross is not a cartoon villain like no, you can he's tell not. that he's I mean, doing what yeah. he's doing for a reason yeah yeah and it's not even the best of reasons it's not like it's not even like he's you know that that uh bad guy with a heart like he's you know he's following his program he knows what he wants yeah he wants the um, super soldier serum the uh um the abomination or the guy who will become the abomination kicks butt on his own then he kicks butt as the abomination yep. it's just really just What's... this long sequence of action scenes that actually works out really well and it's not really tiresome and what's really cool is the first time what's his name leblonsky Le... what's what's that character's name matthew that becomes em- emil blonsky blonsky okay so you know first time he get, gets his butt kicked by the hulk the second time he's been injected with a small sample of the super soldier for- formula, or the mm-hmm. serum. And so he's actually, it's working on him and you can see him flipping and tumbling and fighting and, and really going one-on-one with the Hulk. And as I was watching that sequence, I was just sitting there going, oh my God, this is what the Captain America movie is going to be like as far as the fight scenes. Or if they do the fight scenes right, mm-hmm. this is how Steve Rogers should be moving in that movie. And I just, that really surprised me. Um, the uh, origin story of the leader yeah. was really cool because I was like, "Oh, okay." Now I get when I saw that, I was like, "Oh yeah, now I know yeah, who that, yeah. that guy is," and and that was very cool. Um, the fight scenes were brilliant. I thought, you know, when the Hulk is is battling the army there at the uh, c- college campus, mm-hmm. and he's essentially uh, having to go against those sonic uh, cannons. Right. I thought was brilliant. The fact that he's trying to save Betty was really good. And then the infight with with him and the Abomination, I thought was excellent as well. And I like the fact that they didn't kill the Abomination. Yeah, in that movie, which I think is really important, so that he could come back, you know, later on. Right. Um, the one thing that I was, if if you had to have one downside to the movie, what would it would it be? Um, I don't know. I think uh, for me, there was just always this level of. I, I think because they just got right into it and they did kind of skip on the origin. But you know what? They did things. that so quick in the credits they, that it was just did. like, you know, I was like, great. This is not going to be, I have to retell everything. This is really quick, 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 quick. But to me, I felt like I didn't get introduced to Bruce Banner prior to the Hulk. True. And to a certain degree, this is a movie about. You know, to me, it felt like this is a movie about Bruce Banner trying to keep down the Hulk, but I didn't know who Bruce Banner was prior to that. Mm. And I think throughout the movie, that's something that I kept coming back to. And I'm like, I, I get that this is a sympathetic character, but I don't actually know who he is. He doesn't. It felt to me that Bruce Banner didn't have any personality besides I'm a guy who wants to keep down the Hulk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm. I wasn't a big fan of Liv Tyler in this in this piece. I didn't think she came off as a believable scientist. I thought this was she was it was well acted, mm-hmm. um, but just didn't just didn't do it for me. I would rather have had uh, what's her face from the from the other movie, Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer, Jennifer Connelly, ooh boy, I I too would rather have Jennifer Connelly. I'd take both. 
Andrew said, hey guys, I love the podcast and your site is now my first port of call. I took my sons six and nine and their reluctant sister 16 on Friday evening to see the, the Incredible Hulk and everyone's reaction was that Marvel nailed it. On Thursday, I sat down to watch the Eric Bana Hulk movie and yet again, I was woken up by my wife after falling asleep halfway through. But this time around, they got it all right. The movie had a great tempo. The atmosphere was serious, but still sound space for a few well-placed laughs. You gotta, I, I gotta tell you, there was a great moment where... Uh, Ed Norton is trying to translate Portuguese, and he's like, "Don't make me hungry. You won't <laughs> like me when I'm hungry." Well, and uh, that that thing when uh, you know they're escaping, and finally uh, Betty and Bruce are alone, and they start making out, and right. his heart meter starts to go off, and he's like, "No, no, no, I can't get excited." And she's like, "Not even a little excited." <laughs> <laughs> Brad C says the geek in me jumped up and down screaming as I watched the Incredible Hulk in an early preview screening. It is awesome. From the amazingly executed action sequences, the frenetic camera work, dynamic score down to Ed Norton and William Hurt's fantastic characterizations, this is the pitch perfect summer action smash fest. Is it better than Iron Man? Good God, no. It was a better action movie to be sure. Iron Man really only had one action sequence per act, whereas this has more action sequences than does uh, references to other parts of the Marvel Universe, and trust me, that's a lot. If you want a movie with a lot of intricate plot, well-developed character arcs, or well-written, clever dialogue, wait for Dark Knight, or go see Iron Man again. If you want a movie about hitting crap, and then ex- and then it exploding, and any self-respecting comic fan will all read up on Next Wave, or I'll read up on Next Wave. Should you have found your dream summer movie? I thought, uh, yeah, that's pretty That's pretty right. I mean, I just like action. Oh, yeah. If I'm going in to see the Hulk, I expect to hear the Hulk say Hulk smash. Oh, yeah. I wasn't expecting his thunderclap thing. The thunderclap thing I thought was good. I, I wish that they'd used it differently, though. It seemed to me that the way they used it, the fe- the flames would have just gone right into the helicopter <laughs> right, and right. killed them. Now, is that something that he does? Is it, Does he have a thunderclap like that? I, I think... There's, there's been, I've seen a lot of cool stuff in the comic books that they do with the Hulk, you know, just like the giant jump. Yeah. You know, the Hulk, I think was, if not the first guy, then definitely the guy who popularized it. You know, like this is a guy who's so strong, he can actually move really fast and do all kinds of crazy things. I think the, the earthquake, you know, foot stomp kind of thing is another thing that the Hulk has always done. That's pretty cool. Uh, Double Dumbass on You, John from DoubleDumbassOnYou.com said, Marvel has gone two for two in 2008. Another film that was anchored by a fantastic lead and supporting cast, Incredible Hulk, is one movie that is completely accessible to the general movie-going public as well as the fanboys out there. There were tons of nods to the fa- for the fans, like the Purple Pants and Lou and Stan's respective cameos. And I gotta admit, they had a perfect explanation of why uh, the pants stay on the Hulk when he converts. The stretchy pants. They're stretchy pants. You know, they <laughs> well, have a big again, waistband. Another another great moment in the movie, she goes out to buy him clothes, you know, when they're on the run, and she brings out these like giant yeah, purple, purple pants. pants. Yeah. And he's like, and he's like eh, nah. nah. <laughs> <laughs> but they're the biggest stretchy pants I could find. Yeah. Um Kazoo Spartan says, I saw the Hulk today with my seven-year-old son. He walked out of the theater saying, Hulk smash! I like the uh, the references to the Super Soldier Project and the birth of the leader. A very well done Marvel. Uh, let's see. 
Mark I, I'm not going to read his whole thing, but he did have one one uh, concern that he said. My main problem with the end sequence is the fight between Abomination and the Hulk. It looked like it was ripped ripped right out of the Ultimate Destruction video game uh, from the technique of smashing the cars to uh, climbing up the buildings. I guess there's only so much you can do, but as someone who played the game for hours, it was a blatant ripoff. I did get that. and I, I remember watching it and I was like, this looks like the Hulk video game, which I didn't think was a big deal. I mean, I you know... If there if there is some source material out there that maybe some fans wouldn't be familiar with, then yeah, I they should I definitely know. use it. Yeah, I would think so too. Um, and let's do um, let's do San Lear. He says, "I absolutely loved it. This is the Hulk movie I've been waiting to see." And then Carl uh, wraps it up with, "It was definitely an enjoyable movie that gives fans what they want. They really peppered it with Easter eggs, and I sure didn't catch them all. And there are a lot. There, there really are in, in that piece. So." I would, if I were going to give a star rating to the Hulk, I gave it a, a solid four out of five. I, you know, it probably wasn't as as good as the Iron Man. I don't know. I'm kind of split between the two. I, I think they're both equal. I mean, mm-hmm. I, if I had a choice, I'd say, well, can I watch them both back to back? Yeah, I think I think I'd like to go back and see both of them. I'd, I'd give it three and a half. Just you know, coming out of the theater reaction, mm-hmm. um, I thought it was great. Great action. Couldn't quite connect with the character. Whereas Tony Stark, you I, I, you know, Iron Man is much more of a character movie True. than the Hulk is. True. Uh, I did like the I, action, though. Matthew? I would have to say that the trailers for this one, I'm going to go a little higher than I did for the trailers for Iron Man. <laughs> I'm going to go a 4.0 because the trailers really give me a feeling that they know how to trail Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important in a trailer. It's got the little moment I, I had seen one where they actually did the Mr. McGee line. Right. I I can't you know I can't go forty five minutes without quoting you know don't make me angry you wouldn't like me when I'm angry right right and you know overall I really like the the way they cut little pieces of the film into a much smaller film so four compared to the three dot five <laughs> for the Iron Man trailers and one of these days uh, probably when it comes out on DVD or the uh, or the uh, free cable, Matthew will uh, will finally get to right. sit down and see these. And a year from now, in podcast number twenty nine hundred and six, <laughs> I'll give you my my you know re- reveal on the movie. Well, how about some reviews that everybody has uh, jumped into? And let's get to some comic book reviews this week. Uh, dun, right dun, 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 dun. Comic reviews. That's I, I somehow have a feeling we're going to have to use that from now on. <laughs> Splice it. All right, Rodrigo, what did you take a look at? Um, I looked at Gen X, Gen X number two from Marvel. Now, is this I, an X Men thing? I, I don't is. know nothing about this title. Basically, the the premise of this book is uh, the X Men universe happened in real time. The first X Men, the first class of X Men, appeared sometime in the se- in the sixties um, and continued to grow up. Um, more X Men came in and out, but basically. Today it's 2008. The original X Men X Men are dead or in their late 50s, early 60s, kind of you know stuff. Well, like that's that. kind of, that's kind of a cool idea, kind of a cool concept. It is a cool concept, which makes it so unfortunate that this book is actually kind of blah. Oh, really? I mean, it really just absolutely <laughs> just totally feels like another Gen X, like Generation X. Except the characters aren't as cool because they're actually a, just kind of ripoffs of the old. Is this right? a reboot of a previous Gen X title, or is there was there another Gen X title? Before I don't think this? so. There was Generation X, right? And there was Generation was, Next during the Age of Apocalypse. I think that's I what it thought, was called. I thought this would be pronounced Gene Next because there's the G E N E, but 
I one of the characters actually resembled to me one of the characters from Generation Next. Well, that's what I was wondering if if the two are tied together. Are they at all? I, I don't suppose. I don't think they're supposed to be. I think there's some borrowing going on. Oh, but... okay. But let me guess. You've got a character that can blast something with his eyes. Another one that has indestructible <laughs> claws. Another one right. that's really furry. <clears throat> No, you have to have at least one who's like this got the powers of his mother and his father. Mm -hmm. You have, you have, and and the the way they're setting it up, you know, it's like you have um, Becca Monroe, right? Storm's daughter, player, right? Um, (laughs) 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 Sorry, and his his power is bending things. Becca. Oh, Becca, oh, Becca. Monroe. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not Sorry. Beckham. You need to enun- enunciate, <laughs> sir. Roger that. Anyway. <laughs> oh, uh, man. Yeah. She's got, she's actually got like a whole bunch of powers, and they kind of hint at some sort of like feral nature. So, you know, maybe it's like Storm and Black Panther kind of thing. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, stuff like that. Um, there's basically a guy who's just Colossus, and he's basically Colossus 3. Like, he's Colossus's grandson. Mm-hmm. Um, so is there some kind of overarching story that goes on here? Something not, that Not so far. This is written by Chris Claremont, and it's kind of based on this series, oh. apparently, that he wrote, um, which was sort of... Uh, the the premise of it is actually this series. Oh, okay. Um, and I f- just totally blanked out on what it was called. But you know, his uh, he wrote this like the X Men were just growing up, um, and at the end of the series, everything's destroyed. At the beginning of this series, stuff isn't destroyed. So I don't I don't know exactly where it fits. Um, but that's sort of supposed to be the premise of it. Um, X twenty three is in it. Uh, Hank McCoy is in it. In this issue, they refer to him. They refer to the Beast as Hank Pym. Really? Which I I I was like, okay, so is, did Hank Pym like Maybe drink the marriage. Beast serum and turn blue, and he's yeah. part of the X Men now? I honestly think that's just actually a mistake. Okay, they got their Hanks really, confused. A really bad editing mistake. Yeah. So. If if somebody sees it at the comic store and like flips through it, you know, check it out and 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 tell me if I'm wrong. But you know, I I know that it's on there. I just don't know because the previous this is number two right. issue number one. I don't think they ever like Beast is there, but they always just call him Hank. They don't ever say his name. I see. They well, that's to kind of Hank an interesting Pam. then. You know, maybe marriage or something or child. Maybe he's a second generation. I think I think the Beast did in fact marry. Uh, Je- Yellow jacket, oh, really? and just took his name because okay. you know this is this is you know the and right. this here's is the weird the... thing about it though the the one thing that's cool and kind of weird about this book is these are the children of the X Men but it's not set in the future it's set in the present so and it, it is two thousand eight and is, all that stuff okay and it's something that's kind of hard to wrap your head or to for me to wrap my head around at first the biggest problem with this book is that it's just totally blah I mean just. The characters aren't interesting. The character designs aren't interesting. Mm. Um, the art is okay. If you, you know, like Brian doesn't like that uh, right. Ultimate Spider Man kind of look. Right. This is very similar to that. So if mm. people don't like that look, then you, you should just totally avoid this book. Um, I'm going to give it, I'll probably give it two and a half stars. Okay. Um, it's just d- not doing it for me. And such a great idea. And it's just I like that idea because then that kind of ties into that uh, old man Wolverine story that's mm-hmm. going on in what Wolverine Origins or whatever, right? Where it's you know is set in the future and he is an old man and it's kind of a hard sell for me. I mean, I'm looking at it. I can see where it'd be interesting, 
but you have to have multiple layers of buy-in and, and suspension of disbelief. You pretty much have to be not just a comic fan, but specifically a Chris Claremont X-Men fan and have a basic knowledge of things that might have happened in Claremont's various stories mm-hmm. to before yeah. you'd even look at this book. And I think if you know if it wasn't a pitch from Chris Claremont, father of the X-Men, oh, mighty Claremont! it would have been laughed out of the room. Absolutely. I, I think you're right. And it is very much a hands-on Chris Claremont thing to the point where Chris Claremont came back to the X-Men for a while mm-hmm. and wrote up what I thought was a horrible run in it, just um, introducing all these weird characters that just disappeared and stuff like that. And he brings some of these characters back in during this issue, these like like Sky Surfer guys that I remember seeing that. And I was like, Oh no, I can't believe he's doing this. These guys sucked. <laughs> but clearly he liked them back in the day and like they talk about it as like, oh yeah, these guys were big X-Men villains and blah blah blah. It's like, no, they weren't. Yeah, oh, that's what a shame. But I I think if if there was one thing that would intrigue me into this as a non-Marvel reader, as someone who might be interested in reading about the X-Men, is this idea of everything happens in real time. I, and I kind of like that idea. It's too bad we can't actually see that in the comics with the exception of nightwing who has you know who has been the anomaly in 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 the dc universe where he actually ages while everyone else stays the same age well, to, to a certain no, degree all, all of the all of the titans i mean you the, the only is the thing the guys that don't age are the mainstays right because rogue started out as a little kid or a very young girl, and mm-hmm. she's grown up. You know, Jubilee—they've held back because some people don't like her. Kitty Pride has grown up. You know, they ha- they held her back because she rode the short mutant bus. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> even Nightwing has only aged twelve years in sixty. Yeah, but I mean, it's- if you compare, I mean, here's Batman who's still thirty-eight, and you know, uh, Nightwing is like. 35 now. No, but I, th- I think Nightwing's that is 21. No. According to the book. Nightwing no. is 21 according to the book. No way. I, don't I think but that. I think that is part of it. I think <clears throat> everybody, you know, you can start slowly aging everybody up except for Batman, <clears throat> Superman, you know, your core X-Men. Although it's funny in on the Marvel side of things cuz now it's kind of cool to age Wolverine cuz apparently his uh he devo- he evolved directly from Protozoa and has always been around. <laughs> yeah, that's. I hope that's a joke because no, I think that's what's gonna. I think that's is, gonna be revealed. It is a joke, but I think uh, Wolverine makes so many cameos, he might actually be in Spore. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Every every drop of blood he has ever spilled has grown another full fledged Wolverine. <laughs> that that must be what it is. So that's got to be man, what's just more man, grizzled than the last. Just um, a lot of meh from this one, huh? Pretty much. All right. Well. We're going to go two for two for uh, kind of bad titles this week. As I took a look at Wild Storm's Chuck number one. And there's only one way that I think we can really try to figure out how this whole thing went down. And that's through a little major spoilers theater. The following is an attempt at humor. No real writers were harmed during the making of this tale. Hey, Mr. Boss Man, I got the perfect idea for an ongoing monthly that'll just sell like gangbusters. Gangbusters, you say? You know, we do need a title that will sell gangbusters. I'm intrigued. Please continue, Peon. You know how well those comic books based on television series are doing? Yes, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, 
Uh, Angel, I'm aware of those. Yeah, I was thinking we could do something similar with another well-loved television show. Star Trek. No, 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 no. ITW is doing that. I was thinking something more recent, something more hip, something more now, something Serenity? happening, something more... No, 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 no. Work with me. Something the kids actually will dig. Something people have actually seen. Reaper? You know, we are that already on the CW. That's a good idea. It's a Warner brand. That would be a perfect model. No, 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 no. Something like that, but not really. I'm thinking something, you know, people know something about. Something that has some kind of ratings. Heroes? Good idea. We already have two trades based on the online comic, kid. Yeah, yeah, no, no, Heroes. Yeah, that's that's good. But what comes on before Heroes? Journeyman. NBC did cancel that one, uh, but there was a growing audience, now that you mentioned No, 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 no. I'm talking about Chuck! Chuck? Yeah, man. It's got that one guy and the girl in the wiener suit and that other guy with the from that one show that everybody... Serenity. Yeah, yeah, that guy. And, 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 and once everyone finds out that all the main characters from the TV show are in the first issue, people will be running down the street to their local comic book shop just to pick up a copy. I'm not sure. Chuck, are you sure? Chuck? Heck, man, we'll even throw in that guy everyone calls awesome. And just to make sure people know who he is, we'll make sure he says awesome all the time, even though he really doesn't say it in the TV show. Heck, we'll even make him a douchebag to boot so people can identify with him. Uh, now, if I give the go-ahead for this first issue, what would this story be about? It starts off on Gilligan's Island, and then there's this nuke, only it's not really a nuke, and Ginger Grant really isn't the Sarah girl. It's all a dream, but somehow it's 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 all connected, yeah, yeah, to a much larger story about uh, about things that happen, and you know, like like crazy spy stuff, and, and double agents, yeah, yeah, and how about how about a bunch of supervillains that that escape, and oh, and they're going to have to chase them all around the, the world to uh, places like, uh, 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 yeah, Tokyo, Buffy just did Tokyo, yeah, Tokyo, that's it, that's the ticket uh that story doesn't make a lot of sense well that's the brilliant part of it the story will have readers scratching their heads to the point where they're gonna have to buy the next five issues just so they can understand it remember boss six issues 2.99 i like the way you're thinking kid cha-ching go for it yeah as you can tell i'm giving this one a lowly one star i like the cover art and that's about it wow it is bad. I mean, the TV show is okay, but this doesn't even... <laughs> it's almost even... as bad as that skit. <laughs> well, <laughs> all I the gotta say... The opinions expressed by Rodrigo are pretty much those of everybody. everybody. <laughs> I just, you know, I got this thinking, oh, you know, if it's as half as good as the TV show, then... It'll be half as good. It'll be half as good. It should surely be a two and a half, maybe three star. And if they do it thinking, you know, some of these things like... What's going on with Buffy and Angel? It would have been a perfect idea, but it's like a bad, it's like a bad parody almost of what Chuck is about. Mm. It's not even, mm. oh, it's just, ugh. I, I've got to uh. give it a one. Unfortunately, well, the good thing is it's only six issues. The bad thing is they're going to print all six issues. <laughs> but, but the question is, is it Captain Marvel The Return bad? Um... Well, it's not Shadowhunter bad. Well, no, it's Shadow no, Hunter. it's not Shadowhunter bad. That's for sure. So I give it a, a step up from Shadowhunter, but yeah. Mm. Didn't we give Shadowhunter negative stars? I, I think I gave it a point five or a one or something like that. Yeah, but Brian is, actually gave it no stars. I yeah. give it one because it does, in fact, exist. And <laughs> I think I gave it a one, one and a half, just because of the Greg Land. Uh, Jenna yeah, Jameson the art was good. Yeah. Yeah. So the breakdown is, of all the comics you've ever read, Chuck is one of them. 
Yes. And, you know, I also did read a lot of other comics this week that I thought were pretty good. In fact, I read the second issue of Trinity. We'll have that uh, review up later this week on on the website. I know I'm a little behind, but hey, what are you going to do? I read an excellent The Voyages of the She-Buccaneer, which I think a lot of people might want to give a chance if they Mm -hmm. if they get a chance to pick that up. And uh, speaking of of Trinity, uh, you know, last week I reviewed the first issue of Trinity on the show and I said I'd give the issue away. Uh, to somebody who wrote in who knew the answers to the first appearance of Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. And Matthew, those yes. answers are the first appearance Superman. of Superman. Okay. First appearance of Superman, June 1938, Action Comics number one. Batman. Detective Comics number 27, which I believe was 1939, June-ish in that neighborhood. And Wonder Woman. There actually is some debate on this. There's uh, Sensation Comics number eight. Or excuse me, Sensation Comics number one. Right. All Star Comics number eight came out the same month. I believe Sensation number one is considered the first appearance of one. No, World. that's Action Comics number eight is considered the first appearance. All Star Comics number eight. All Star Comics number eight. Yeah. So. Oh man. Either all, way, of all the people that that had the correct answers, we threw them into a pot. We drew them. Congratulations to Matthew Kleinen, Kleinen, Kleinen. I, I didn't, my writing is so terrible here. Matthew, send me an email with your address and we will get this in the mail to you in a few weeks now the one thing i don't know this may turn into an awful podcast with uh, awful reviews except for the hulk movie uh, of all the things that i've been bitching and moaning the most about it's been the delay of the final installment of salvation run how did the villains get off that dang prison planet matthew you're gonna fill us in salvation run number seven uh it was printed on paper and I'm real happy with the paper. It's it's kind of flexible and <laughs> ha- holds the ink really well. Glossy. Um, we start out with a really scary picture of Captain Cold looking like a wishing troll. And about the first, uh, I want to say the first five or ten pages are the villains of the DC Universe getting chopped up fighting Darkseid's parademons. Yeah, but Question- you know what? The only thing that's interesting about this is the only one that we actually see getting killed while they're fighting the parademons is the Hulk. No, 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 I'm sorry. I mean, uh, what's his Solomon, name? Solomon, Solomon Grundy. Grundy. But for whatever reason, they made him. they drew him just like the Hulk and he's green and everything didn't make sense right. to me. Why is Solomon Grundy the Hulk, though, is only one of the questions that we have to ask in this first couple of pages, because A, the new gods are dead, and the parademons are new gods. Well, maybe this took place before that, right? Don't you think? I don't know. I have no idea when anything comes out anymore. Lex Luthor has been in Justice League for the last 15 issues while he's been (laughs) on this planet. Well, he's also showing up in Final Crisis, but apparently continuity doesn't matter, so... Question two, why is Man-Bat on the planet with the supervillain? Well, that's, that's what I thought, too, because I thought in his alter ego, according to Grant Morrison, he was in London with his wife making ninja vampire bats for uh, for Talia. Exactly. So there's a question there. Unless it's not him, it may be a different Man-Bat. It could be that. It may be one of the ninja Man-Bats that he created. Question three is the moment where the Joker is being attacked by these flying invulnerable things from Apocalypse with guns and and claws and teeth. And it occurs to me that the Joker has the same power as his greatest nemesis, and that is the complacency of the writer, because the Joker starts killing parademons. Well, you got to admit, though, he did punch the one guy, the one parademon in the face with the gun, and then took the bigger gun and blasted him, right? I mean, that makes sense. It's it's an interesting moment. It's actually kind of cute for Joker, but the the thing that bothers me about it, and throughout the issue, I really miss Bill Willingham's dialogue. Yeah, um, but you know, Sturg- I'm I'm a big fan of Sturgis, and yeah. uh, he made Sturgis is good. Show. He's yeah. 
he's he's definitely getting there, and he's certainly no you know no Tyro, no newbie at this point. But he doesn't have the chops for dialogue. Bill Willingham's first three issues, his Joker dialogue was vicious. It was brutal. It was beautiful, and this doesn't quite get it. The good points to me are uh, the Rogues Gallery. Captain Cold, Captain Boomerang, the Miracle, or the Miracle Man? No. no the Mirror um, Master. Wizard, wizard, weather Wizard. Weather Wizard, Weather Wizard, the Weather top, Wizard. The Top. I just love to say Weather Wizard. It's the Top Dead, is he, or is he alive? Top, yeah, the Top's dead as a mackerel this week. Okay. Um, he'll be back next month. But the rogues are really the only ones who give a good showing of themselves, not only, you know, kicking butt, but showing a little bit of real strategy and now, real teamwork. I'm going to side on Sturgis here because I love his opening monologue with Captain Cold saying, hey, when you put on the mask, you know what you're getting into. You're mm-hmm. in it for life, and you know you're going to have to go up against the bad guys at some point, uh, and you're just going to keep dreaming for that that bag of riches at the end of the rainbow. I, I like that dialogue. I That's like, a good line. I like how he made uh, um, Lex Luthor over-the-top crazy BS, you know, there is a great moment with Luthor where Vandal Savage asks him if he knows what he's doing, and Luthor's like, I have an advanced degree of teleportation from Mad Scientist School. Yeah, exactly. That <laughs> stuff is awesome. <laughs> the villains all retreat to Vandal Savage, Vandal Savage's little paradise, which is good because his four queens started talking to each other. And there is nothing worse when the four women in your life start comparing your stories. Yeah. Or so I've heard. Now, um, wait a minute. What's this deal with uh, Gorilla Grodd appearing in like an issue of The Flash and in other uh, tales like uh, Final Crisis and whatnot? Uh, well, I don't know. I thought, Grodd I thought was... the J- Joker kicked him off a cliff. Oh, but he did. But Grodd, Grodd is strong. The force is strong in Grodd. The mind force allowed Grodd to survive. And about halfway through the issue, he comes back with really wanting to rip the Joker to pieces. And Luthor manages to get the two of them to work together so they can get off the planet. They end up fighting and fighting and fighting, and some more minor villains bite it. And then Luthor actually manages to power up his teleportation portal. Which looks an awful lot like a Stargate. It looks remarkably like a Stargate, now that you mention it. Now, how is he powering this up, though? Where is he getting all the power from all this junk that's all over the planet? Why, I'm glad you asked, Stephen. It's almost as though you knew. (laughs) Lex Luthor being Lex Luthor, and there is no honor among even balding thieves, has taken several of his, you know, minor superhero slash villain characters and used their powers to power the machine. Uh, Warp and Plasmus of the old Brotherhood of Evil, a guy named Neutron who fought Superman once, Thunder and Lightning, the twins from the old Teen Titans series, and some girl who I think is a, a Nazi white supremacist from an old issue of Justice League Unlimited or Justice League Task Force, one of the two. But he basically betrays them and sticks them in a little room and has them powering his little Stargate device. So everybody, you know, virtually everybody gets home. And then Luthor sets it up to where there's a nuclear explosion at the end, which is probably Neutron, the guy who fought Superman. Ah. And we end the issue with a two-page spread. And I can just hear Pink Floyd's, that ending bit of the wall... After the the explosion where the little guy is sitting there and just singing to himself and playing the harmonica, you can hear this. Dead parademons everywhere. You see the native flora and fauna eating the body of Mishu Mala, who was killed in a previous issue. And by the way, if you ever have to fight two guys, Grodd did the right thing. You pick up the little guy and you kill the big guy with him. Yeah. That that way they're both dead and there's no murder weapon. (laughs) 
<laughs> the police will look at it. They'll think it's a pedestrian accident. Well, but, um, this, this, I guess this is my thought. You know, the final page is Martian Manhunter stranded on the planet in the uh, fiery cage. Right. Uh, my my thought is for Sturgis, and I don't know what the holdup was with this. I don't know if it was a writing holdup, if it was an art holdup, or what the delay was in getting this out. Because this has come out so long after <laughs> everything that happened in Countdown, everything that's already appeared in Final Crisis, and a lot of the tie-in issues with that. Yeah. You know, I think the story's well-written. I think he delivered a story that ended the only way that it could end. It didn't end, though. I mean, it just sort of, oh, you know, it, it, it stopped, but it didn't end. Um, Martian Manhunter is still on this other planet. We know well, he gets back to Earth. We've seen him murdered. Right. Well, but the they villain- did show that in um, in that uh, first issue of Final Crisis where Libra teleports him off the planet. Oh, they did? Yeah. Oh, okay. So we do I see that. I should probably read my issue of Final Crisis. Never mind. You probably should. Um, but overall, the whole book, the whole series from about issue four on just feels like an exercise in hype, an exercise in how can we get these characters to the points they need to be for the next big event. And it didn't flow like a story. There didn't seem to be anything essential, anything really earth-shattering, or even you know, it, even to the point that was changed any of the characters. Well, but that I, 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 I would d- kind of disagree because, and this might tie into the big overall theme of this is the year the villains win, because they've been on this planet. They know what it's like to have been kicked out by the heroes. You know, in the past, it was you go to Blackgate, you go to Arkham, you go to you know wherever. The gulag. We the gulag. This time, however, they know that they screwed us over, and we can see if we work together, even though they really didn't all work together. There were two frac- factions. But that they can be very powerful, and they can do some pretty mean things. And I think that they're coming back with that grudge that's a lot different than being in prison, where you know maybe you have to worry about getting shivved in the yard. Here's a whole planet that wants to kill you, and they don't know that the good guys don't know that that's what the pris- the prison planet was all about. They thought it was an idyllic, you know, little place where they could all live out their days. So these guys are going to come back with, I think, a huge grudge and a huge chip on their shoulder. And I think it, as far as you saying it doesn't set them up, I I, I kind of actually feel like it does kind of set up for. We're the hardened criminals now. Well, I I can see your point, except for it's all subtext. True. We've seen we've seen these characters, and we've seen them at points in time, which logically have to be after this story. And yeah, maybe it's there, and maybe you can read into it and say, well, maybe the Joker was acting a little more vicious because of his experience, or maybe Lex Luthor has a little more you know anger or a little more hatred because of this experience. But it's all sub. It's metatextual. It's to the point where if you hadn't read the story first, the stories which have to take place last don't have. There's nothing that makes this story a part of the story. Infinite Crisis, or excuse me, Final Crisis Number One references it plot-wise right. when they teleport. But it's not really something to where this series sets up a thread that you know Final Crisis is now going to pick up and tie up. This is just kind of a this is kind of um, that that Stone Cold Steve Austin movie done with Lex Luthor. 
it's the world's most dangerous game oh, yeah. with supervillains <laughs> stuck on planet. Yeah. And when you look at it from the perspective of, is it a good comic book? Is it a good story? It's okay. Yeah. It, it's part of our, you know, our 19th annual spot podcast parade of meh. In that it, That's it, it's, it sort of happens. Yeah. You know, again, you know of, all the, of you... all the comic books I read this week, this is one. What, what star rating do you give it? Um, Sean Chen knocks the art out of the park. I mean, Chen is one of those guys that, aside from one Captain Cold who looks like a wishing troll, the battle sequences are well done. Yep. I mean, the characterization, the facial, the facial the, the expressions. exploding parademon heads. The, the moment where Phobia, Lady Flash, uh, What's-Her-Face, and the Cheetah confront Vandal Savage, four women who are very differently built, different faces, all angry, but different facial expressions and different expressions of that anger, that's good. I mean, it's, it's well done. It's well handled. The characters carry themselves well. Just based on the art alone, I'm going to go with two out of five stars. If yeah. the dialogue had been a little bit crisper if the story had had more of a well it's the downhill arc let's just see if we can coast the truck into the parking lot feel i might have gone you know i might have gone two and a half three but now if basically let me ask you this though had this issue come out on time before all the other stuff had come out would mm -hmm. do you think you'd feel differently about this story i would but that wouldn't improve it necessarily okay I think some of my complaints about how do we know what's going on with Lex Luthor or where has this been, you know, if it had come out and monthly and it had been something that went bang, 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 here's a, here's a cute little adventure story, yes, it would have changed my perception from the whininess point of view, but it wouldn't have, if it was this exact issue, it wouldn't have changed the fact that it's kind of Status pedestrian. It, yeah. It's kind of pedestrian. It's just kind of a standard issue. Oh, well, you know, some things happened. Yeah, it felt life-threatening for a minute, but it turns out, no, you know, Lex was back in Metropolis and all's right with the world kind of thing. Okay. Well, I think maybe next week, maybe maybe we'll have some comics that uh, maybe get a little better rating. Hey, worst case scenario, we can get Josh to review something. There you go. Four stars, baby. Four stars. <laughs> oh, leave him alone. I, <laughs> we we love you, Josh. We love you, man. I think. Um. Well, I, I, and both Salvation Run and Gen X, or however you pronounce it. Um. I, I think it's the same thing because I remember when when uh when I heard about Salvation Run, I was like, okay, you're taking all of these major supervillains and just packing them together and throwing them on this planet to survive. That's a freaking great idea. You know, it's like a superhero book, except the superheroes are bad. Right. You know, yeah. kind of stuff. Right. Like, they're all fighting for survival. And, you know, to see it kind of peter out just sucks. And it's the same thing for Gen X. It's, you know, it's like this great G idea of just... Gen X. Here's um, the thing about it. It's a great hook. It's a great notion. Yeah. But if you got nothing to put on the Scarecrow, it's just a framework. Mm-hmm. So both of them are great hooks that don't quite execute with enough punch to really show us what those hooks are capable of. Speaking of something that had a lot of hook and something that I really like, and I'm sure you guys liked it too, Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, the cartoon series. Did you guys watch those? Absolutely. Oh, yes, yes, They are yes. probably, you know, still being part of that Bruce Timm universe of, of uh, animated Superman. series, you know, just going that whole route. I just, that's got to be one of the best cartoon series ever. But it does bring up the question, in the original Justice League animated series, uh, there were seven characters. Mm -hmm. 
And so I guess our question this week is, who's your favorite JLU regular team member? Is it Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, Hawk Girl, or Martian Manhunter? Matthew? One of these things is not like the other. Well, I'm going to actually, I think I'm going to surprise everyone, including myself, when I tell you that of those characters in that iteration, my favorite is Hawk Girl. Because she, has, she does have the most interesting story, I think. She brought the edge, and she kind of, you know, as much as I complain about it, she was that story's Wolverine. She was the, the character who wasn't just, you know, an icon of truth and justice. She brought in some questioning nature, and she brought in some, you know, some possible duplicity. She was the most well-rounded, and she had the most interesting arc to me. Yeah, especially when uh, they thought uh, she portrayed everyone with the Thanagarian attack. Right. And exactly. then later on with the love triangle with Green Lantern. Yeah. With Green Lantern and Vixen. Now, if you'd put Vigilante on there, man, I'd be Vigilante up and down the street. Excuse me, ma'am, I gotta shoot some monsters. No, I said regulars. <laughs> Background characters don't count. Yeah, Otherwise, I, Booster Gold would be number one. I, I always had a I remember even after watching the first um, Justice League uh, like pilot episode with like the tripods and stuff like that, yeah. um, thinking, you know what, Wonder Woman and Hog Girl are too similar for my taste. It's just kind of like two women who are ve- – the two girls are very out of touch with society. Right. One's on Amazon. One's from a different planet. They're both very aggressive. They're both super strong. They both fly. And I remember like, wouldn't it be great to have Black Canary in here? And she did that's, appear later on. So, and yeah. she would. And th- that's just my thought on Hog Girl. My, like, I love the characterization of Flash. I really liked Flash in the JLU. And I always, always felt that he was the least used character. Mm-hmm. Like, he had his... And, and every character has at least one episode in which they just totally kick butt. Yeah. But I felt that everybody else got three... And Flash got one per every three that everyone else got. And even when it was like Batman, Superman team up or like Green Lantern, Hot Girl team up or just Wonder Woman picking things up and throwing them at other people. And it's like the Flash was just running in the background most of the time. Yeah. And I felt that he was like the most underused character in that series. So he's your favorite, though? Yeah. He I'm, is. You know, I'm going to surprise a lot of people, too, and say that the Flash is my favorite JLU character, too, because I don't like Superman and... Batman is not a team player and doesn't belong. I just don't think he belongs in Mm -hmm. the Justice League at all. The Outsiders, he works great in, but not in the Justice League. Uh, So Flash is my my big pick. I just think the character is well-written every time he appeared. He's got great humorous dialogue. Mm -hmm. Um, There was that great... Well, there was a great reveal where they were first deciding whether to unmask in front of everyone. And he's like, hey, guys, do you really think we should tell everybody who we are? And Bruce Wayne's or Batman's just like, Wally West, Diana Prince, Clark Kent, Bruce Wayne. There, you satisfied? I mean, it's just and his reaction and everything is just great. And the fact that he is played by the guy who plays Lex Luthor in the Smallville series right. is and just I, another brilliant twist. And I think we talked about Yeah, it. we talked about that episode in which uh, Lex Luthor and Flash switched brains. And it was just, that is such a hilarious episode. Just on both of their parts, you know, Lex Luthor in Flash's body and vice versa. You know, that yeah. thing where Lex yeah. Luthor is looking, or, you know, in Flash's body looking in the mirror and it's like, okay, well, I can finally figure out who Flash is. Mm-hmm. Takes off his mask, stares. I have no idea who this is. <laughs> no idea who this is. <laughs> Yeah, that's and you so... know, did you wash your hands? No, Why because not? I'm because evil. I'm evil. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So head over to the Majorspoilers.com website. We've got the uh, poll up right now. Batman is in number one, The Flash number two, Green Lantern currently at number three, with Hawkgirl in at number four. So go over, uh, comment it out, fight it out, talk it out, why you picked who you did, and uh, you can just follow those results throughout the whole week. Um, By the way, last week's poll, uh, what was the best super weapon? Green Lantern. The Green Lantern Lantern ring ring, came out on top. So Gotta be. All right, it's time to send the kitties to bed, everybody, because we're going to get a little blue in this last segment. A little (laughs) mature reader warning goes into effect as we talk about the boys. And we're going to be talking about the first six issues of the controversial series by the preacher creator Garth Ennis, uh, where he takes a twisted look at superpowers, super people, and the men and women who are supposed to keep them under control. And best of all, it's got that uh, appearance by that one guy from that one show or those two movies. Uh, the the guy, Shaun of the Dead guy. Shaun of the Dead guy. Simon also makes Pegg. It. Simon Pegg. Pegg. You got to like that. Uh, so um, the boys. Well, I have a question. Yes. Since we're reviewing this title. Yes. Explicit warning, say- explicit okay. warning goes into effect. Can I say so, fuck? You can say awesome. sh- you can say <laughs> <laughs> Ah fuck that shit. All right. <laughs> I got it out of my system. Let's get let's Ladies get and going. gentlemen, I'm nine years old. Um <laughs> Poop. Oh boy. <laughs> Wiener. I, <laughs> I I bought the boys off the stands in the pamphlet form, which could should come as no surprise to anyone. Every time we do a trade paperback review, I'm reading my individual issues. Mm-hmm. Now did and you st- buy it because you're a Garth Innes fan? Are you did you buy it because of the premise, or did you buy it because Simon Pegg was I, on the cover? I am ashamed to admit it, because Tom Grice is wrong, sir! Wrong! But Tommy really turned me on to that first issue by saying, Hey, this is Ennis. This is good. This is, I mean, this is as good as Preacher was. And I went, Yeah, Tom, but you're always wrong. And he handed <laughs> me the book, and he made me read it, and I put it on my pull list, just standing there at the counter on a Wednesday afternoon. It was that impressive. So, um, I mean, it was... So yeah. this is another one of those tales that I guess is, and Rodrigo kind of mentioned it earlier, it's very similar to what's happened in Wanted, where you're taking a realistic look at yeah. what would happen if superpowers were real. What, you know, yeah. I guess the the theme of absolute power corrupts absolutely kind mm-hmm. of plays out here. And yeah. we're kind of introduced to this character, Wee Huey, as as he'll be known, the Simon Pegg right. uh, guy, uh, as he and his and his girlfriend are out at the park, and she finally says, "Oh, you know, I love the, I love you for that," or something. And he's like, "What? You love me?" And they're like holding hands, and they're doing the whole spinning, you know, yeah. uh, spinning, and then all of a sudden, boom! Blam! She is smashed into her arms are ripped off. She's yeah. p- p- piled he's- in very. I mean, this is very. Very graphic. graphic. Yeah. She's and basically reverted to a fine red mist, and he's stuck there holding her severed arms. It's and horrible. It's, and it's this uh, superhero guy just kind of brushing it off, going, oh, I guess I kind of went off my trajectory a little bit. Sorry about that. And then just takes off. Yep. And my bad. he's just left to kind of pick up the pieces of his life. Yeah. A- and in this world, you know, the superheroes are pretty much given free reign to do whatever they want. We, we meet a couple of different superhero teams mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. this piece. And, of course, you've got the – and I guess but, this is kind of – and we'll talk about this in a little bit. But it's essentially let's take the Justice League right. and let's let's put them in this different universe where they have no morals, no restrictions, no uh, DC lawyer 
standing <laughs> over anyone's shoulders and let's play and let's see what happens. And they are not good people. And we come across a Teen Titans type group mm-hmm. and they are not good people. And even the people that are watching the Watchmen are not good people. Right. And that's, I mean, that's one of the things, the real, the real, to me, the, the story behind this is even the character that we're supposed to feel is working in our best interests, uh, Butcher, right. who basically once, once we, Huey, um, starts becoming vocal about the death of his girlfriend because of the heroes, he's actually recruited by a man named Billy Butcher who runs a black ops team essentially called the boys, the boys, the The boys, the boys. And, uh, butcher basically tells him, look, somebody has to stop these bastards from doing what they're doing. But even butcher is a horrible, horrible person. Oh yeah. He walks up to the head of the CIA and just basically starts banging her and just, Oh, you like that. Don't you bitch? Yeah. Yeah. Sticks her face to the couch. It's a horrible scene. But I mean, you look at it from the point of view of, from a Garth Ennis perspective, Butcher's the good guy because he has the code about the terrible, terrible shit that he does. Mm-hmm. The other guys just do it. Butcher does it because, you know, in the long run, what he does will have positive effects, including, you know, sleeping with the head of the CIA. Well, so about his character, does he do what he does because he just is like, Fuck them. I'm not a superhero, so I'm going to do everything in my power to screw over the what they have going on. Or is he somebody that really looks at it from the standpoint of these fuckers can't get away with what they're doing, and therefore <laughs> I'm going to step in and do everything in my power to knock them down a, a peg or two? Well, I think it's that. And um, they, they do mention by the end of this first trade that um, the reason why he's in it is because his wife was raped and... To a certain and you know, consequently killed by one of these guys. So essentially, he is this universe's version of the Punisher, kind of. To okay. some degree, the thing about Butcher that's fascinating is he's another one of those Garth Ennis main characters. He's you know he's got the accent. He's he's the yeah, the roguish guy. Right. He's he's that character that Garth Ennis writes so well that that devil may care bastard who'll do whatever he needs to do. But he's also got a, a core group around him of some really unusual and interesting characters in, um, they have of course, mother's milk, who is the, you know, the requisite tough guy. And you expect right. him to be the, 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 the shaft of the team kind of, or, you know, the roadblock from GI Joe, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the big kind of friendly jive talking guy who'll come and kick butt, but he's really, yeah, he's really not that at all. And the Frenchman is hysterical. I love... I do like that character a lot. For the whatever Frenchman's reason. pretty great. For whatever there, reason, late, I like that character. Later on down the line, and it's actually one of my reviews, if you go back and look for it, there's a, an episode that focuses entirely on the Frenchman and the last member of the team, the female, and their interaction. And when we see their interaction, the Frenchman is just so wonderful because he's so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I think in, in this first buildup where we meet Wee Huey, who... Um, they inject with a serum to kind of give him, yeah, what's it called? Compound V. That gives him the equivalent superpowers. We've got the butcher, we've got the Frenchman, we've got mother's milk. I think they're all very well developed in this. Well, maybe not mother's milk so much, but the other three are fairly well developed where you kind of get an an idea of what they're all about. But then it's the, uh, the female character that you're just kind of like, I really don't know about her yet. Even the dog has more. 
you know, more character, more character than, yeah. than, than right. she does. I mean, the only thing that we see is <laughs> she, ri- she goes into the <laughs> house and she rips off some guy's face and throws it against a window. I mean, this she's is how dangerous. graphic it is. Yeah. She's the killer and she is the one who is, uh, again, I'm looking back from the perspective of having read the issue where they finally give us some background on her. Right. But mm-hmm. in these, in these first six issues, she's intentionally an enigma. She's, she's the blind spot. And there's a moment where you look at it and you're like, Oh, well look at all these big tough guys. And then this little tiny girl just goes in and kills. And they're, they're all literally standing back and letting the dangerous one do her work, which I think is fascinating. But Throughout the first the first story arc, I don't remember if it happens in this this first six issues or not. We also see that they have a sense of humor. They are, I mean, True. They're not, there, there's some sadistic humor kind of going on there. There's there's a moment where they walk into a room and the Frenchman and the female are sitting there and they're covered in clothes playing cards. And Huey's like, "What are they doing?" And he's like, uh, "I think they're playing reverse strip poker." <laughs> <laughs> well, Which, so I mean, the whole point of the boys is that they are essentially the Watchmen. They're there to keep track of these superpowers, these U.S. superpowers, and keep them in check and to basically say, don't step out of line or the shit's going to hit the fan. Mm -hmm. And so we meet up with with these equivalents we meet up with the justice league and sure enough there is a a martian guy there is an aquaman guy called the deep there's mm-hmm. an amazonian there's a, a speedster type character there's all the, and there's a superman character type person in here yep. and they are there to we are first introduced to them realistically as they try to recruit a new member, uh, member to the team and they've recruited her from i, I guess i want to call him the goody good uh, yeah, the team. young Americans, the young, like that. Or, yeah, sort of a third string hero group somewhere. They're down the all line. religious and pious, and mm-hmm. you know they do probably represent all that's good. And so they uh, bring this girl on. What is her name? Starlight. 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 They bring her Annie. aboard the uh, the flying platform, and the they, satellite. they do they do hint uh, and they talk about that she's replacing a character called the Lamplighter, right? Mm-hmm. Who. And there's some ominous discussion of how the lamplighter is no longer there and why. Right, exactly. And so they said, okay, if you really want to be on the team, then all the guys just step out with their dicks hanging out and saying, give us blowjobs. Yep. If you want to be on the team, start cast. You know, it's a casting couch. Yep. Can't stop the A train. Oh, sorry. Well, and in fact, uh, the A A train comes from. He's the one that actually killed Wee Huey's uh, girlfriend slash mm-hmm. wife. Right. Uh, he actually comes from a team called the Teenage Kicks. Right? Yep. Is that what yep. it is? Is their yep. team? Teenage Kicks. And they're almost as they're even more deviant than uh, than the uh, what is the uh, the seven the seven. Okay. We meet them as we Huey spying on them in a whorehouse, and they're all just going from room to room having sex with everybody in every position, and they'll go for a few minutes and then switch, and they'll all just run wild to another room and just start going on it then. And yes, there are graphic depictions of, well, I wouldn't say super graphic depictions of sex, uh, but you know that people are getting getting it on in, oh, in yeah. these issues. And we Huey just cannot believe what's going on. What surprises me is, I don't know, does did it, are those things in there where we see uh, the main character standing there with his butt nice and big in your face saying, suck it? Is that in there for real purpose? Is it in there for shock value? Is it in there for what's what's the point of that being in there? Could they have if done they, that a different way? 
Absolutely. But if you read the, you know, the hype or the build-up to this series, it was all about Garth Ennis saying, this is the book where I outdo Preacher. This is where I out-Preacher Preacher, where I go and take everything, you know. I mean, one of the characters in Preacher was the kid who had tried to commit suicide, Arseface. Right. And the jokes with Arseface throughout 65 issues were just cruel mm-hmm. and horrible. But the character himself was... Really, really wonderful pathetic. and warm. Yeah, yeah, and by the time you get to the end of it, you're like, you know, I I can't help but like this poor bastard. And that, I think that's the point, is they're giving you all of this graphic sex and violence and, and this horrible stuff so that there are people who are going to gravitate to it because of that shock factor. Mm-hmm. But then there are, you know, in my case, I read it in spite of the shock factor. Yeah, the shock factor is there, and it's it's part of the tone of the book. But the character interaction is really what keeps you coming back. So, yeah, they could definitely, you know, couch it in different terms, but then it wouldn't really be this book. So the shock factor is part of the the idiom of this particular story. Well, instead of just going out and kicking ass and smashing people's faces into the pavement and saying, you know, knock it off, uh, the right. boys actually come up with a plan to kind of put the uh, the teenage kicks into place, and they go in and they start... Uh, spying on them, wiretapping, hidden cameras, uh, dirty tricks type stuff. Mm-hmm. And they come out, they discover, you know, like Shout Out is gay, Rip Claw, mm-hmm. or Pop Claw, I'm sorry, is a cutter. Um, uh, who else? We've got uh, Blarney Cock, who uh, <laughs> later on we'll discover has an interesting uh, little issue. Uh, but what is it? Whack Job is a, is a pill stealer. Um, yeah. Gunpowder, I forget what his... And and basically, there's a there's a three-way love affair between, like, Big Game, Shout Out, and one other guy. I think Blarney Cock is in on that. Yeah, and they just basically just send them the blackmail material and say, hey, there's more of this where this has come from. If you guys don't straighten out, we're going to release it. And so in order to kind of preempt that, um, what's his name, Shout Out, is that him? Yeah. That they, comes yeah. out and says that, hey... They decide to uh, instead of turn instead of outing everybody on the team and releasing everything, the team decides that hey, if we'll just have to out one of our own, and then everything will be cool. So they out shout out who comes right. out and says that he's gay, uh, and that really sends the message to the seven that you guys are next if you don't straighten yeah, up. The boys are back in town. Yeah, right. Because that's one thing that they talk about. This organization has been around before and they right. left. Right. Something happened and this organization was shut down in some way. Right. And I'm interested in that because there's this great shot of New York City where the Brooklyn Bridge is just Gone. completely destroyed. Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering, okay, what happened there? Is that an instance where powers got out of control? And I don't know if that's answered later on, Matthew. Does it get answered later or not? The latest issue, actually, the cliffhanger is the promise of explaining why the Brooklyn Bridge is gone. Issue, I believe, 19, I just reviewed this week, ends with that uh, cliffhanger. But, you know, there are some really, even with all of this, I don't know, carnage, we haven't even gotten to the big fight scene yet. Yeah. Even with all the carnage, there is a nice little moment where the girl, what's her name? Starlight. 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 And we, Huey, uh just kind of meet up in Central Park and they don't even really know who the other people are. I mean, they're not in costume and obviously Wee Huey doesn't wear a costume. But you can see that there's a little bit of a romance kind of starting there. It's like this chance encounter of, hey, you know what? I kind of like you and yeah, you're kind of cool too and maybe we'll meet again sometime. Oh, yeah. And it's just, you know, um, um, amid all of this other 
crap that's going on in this story. I, I read this little passage and I was like, wow, that's that's really kind of nice. You know, Garth can actually do something that's nice and not something that's there for that, pure shock. It's an incredibly sweet moment, too. And I mean, from the perspective of Huey as your entrance character to this world, mm-hmm. Huey is kind of your perspective character, your everyman who's looking at it and going, wow. You know, everything's being explained to me so you, the reader, can figure it out. But he's more than just token eye guy. He has that moment, and Starlight is just so adorable in that sequence. It's, I mean, it's it's like romance movie cute meat in the midst of all the sex and the drugs and the blarney cock. Well, I the only like thing that Blarney. I will say is, you know, <laughs> she comes from a team that's supposed to be all religious, and we don't have sex, and we don't do all this stuff, yet... She's no better than the rest of these people because she's willing to do anything to be a member of the Seven. I mean, she's letting them alter her costume into a sex costume. She's given blowjobs left and right just so she can be on this team. She has no plans or nowhere in these first six issues. Does she ever say, oh, well, if I do this, I can change them and make them better? She's like, well, okay, I'm going to throw up afterwards, but... Hey, it's an honor to be on the team. If I have to suck a little dick, then great. I kind of didn't, I, I didn't get that point of it. I really felt like she was, you know, she's an idealist who thought. She could leave anytime she wants. She doesn't have to be the team. Oh, yeah. And but I think the she fact thought that she, she stays on. Good. I don't know. I think the fact that she stays on the team doesn't make her any better than anyone else. Well, I'm secretly in love with her. So, I mean. Well, I, okay. So you have well, that. And, and I can, I can definitely see. A character. I mean, this was a curveball that was thrown at her, right? And they just keep coming. Uh, that was, might have been a bad choice of words. <laughs> probably, um, probably a bet. These 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 phrasing problems keep coming up, and that's probably never yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, but um, yeah, if you know what I mean. What I'm saying is, uh, you know, she didn't know that this is how it was going to go, and now she's like, she's totally involved with this group. Um, if she just leaves now, the media is going to be onto it. People are going to start asking questions. Um, and she talks about she talks to Huey about it. She's already had the horrible entrance test. Right now, she might as well try to do some good out of it. Yeah, I I don't know. I just think that she's not any better than anyone else because I think probably she's willing to do anything to be on the it's, team. It's entirely possible that there are no good people in this book except for Wee Huey, which and I don't even I, would, I don't even know if I he's would, good. Well, I would suspect that. We, we Huey is going to continue to erode throughout this book. Yeah, he starts off as, oh, yeah, I want to get revenge. Then he's like, oh, wait a minute. I'm not sure I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And then, right. uh, you know, the seven figure out who's blackmailing the, uh, the the teenage kicks. And so they let them know. And the last whole issue of this book the is just a smackdown See? drag out knuckle buster out in the middle yeah. of the street against the boys and, and the teenage team. And it's, it's a bona fide slobber knocker. And it is. I mean, you see the butcher smash somebody in the face, forehead into the nose, and you just see blood spray. Yeah. You see people's heads being turned around. You see people getting smashed. And we Huey, who's been injected with this serum, doesn't know what his power is. Mm-hmm. And so he, uh, he, uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, Blarney Blarneycock. Blarneycock. He just punches him in the gut and punches his guts out the other side. Yep. Essentially killing say, this guy. Can I just say Blarney Cock one more time? Go ahead. Really Blarney Cock. I Blarney mean, just, Cock. his guts are hanging out everywhere, and nobody can believe what's going on. This body's laying in the middle of the street, and then we see something crawling in the pants. 
And it's this gerbil crawling out of Blarney Cox's arse. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, yeah. oh, my God. Talk about shock value. <laughs> it's definitely a moment where all along they've been really taking these superhero characters and making them not just unlikable, not just perverse, but disgusting, horrible creatures. And it's really, it you know, it puts the exclamation point on the fact that Blarney Cock is a worthless sack of crap. There is nothing heroic about this man or any of his teammates. And you have that little moment where you're just like, we Huey says it. He's like, why would somebody do that to that poor little hamster? You know, yeah, he, maybe he's not even familiar with gerbling or, or, or anything like that. Mm. Like you should ask Richard Gere or so <laughs> I've heard. And Please don't sue us. <laughs> so throughout this whole time, throughout this whole issue, it's the decision of we Huey, whether he wants to stay on the team or not. And mm-hmm. he ultimately decides to stick around for a while just to see where things get interesting. And that's where this issue ends with a great big fuck em, you know, and, yeah. uh, and I, I, you know, here's the thing that I see when I look at this series. Yeah. One of the things that Garth Ennis really, really loves to do is have two characters really connect and have, you know, write what he sees as, you know, the perfect couple. Jesse and Tulip from Preacher are a good example. Uh, John Constantine and Kit from when he was writing Hellblazer are another example. And I really feel like, you know, knowing Ennis's bits and pieces, I feel like Huey in The Boys and Starlight in The Seven, if their, you know, their little cute meat turns into something, they together have the ability to make both organizations better. True. They're basically, they're at a point where, you know, Huey has the ability to finally mitigate the butcher's butchery, essentially. And Starlight may actually be able to, you know, do something heroic with the uh, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. But from these, you know, from these first six issues, it's obvious that the point is hook them quick, give them as much slap, slam bang, gang bang, whatever you want to call it, as possible. Get people hooked on. The shock value, get people hooked on the, hey, look at this cool new comic that does all this stuff, and she's giving blowjobs, and then actually try and give you, you know, some substance behind it to where, you know, 60, 70 issues down the line, you look back at these first six and go, so that's what it was all about. Hmm. Does it surprise you that this title started off at DC, and then I think about the hamster issue... DC said, ah, you know what? This is a little bit too much, even for our Vertigo or Wildstorm line. Uh, No, thank you. And then it it switched over to Dynamite. And, you know, it's been gangbusters. Gangbusters. The thing about it, and it did surprise me for one specific reason. I don't know if you guys read The Authority. No. Uh, we the talked main? about this last week. No, I, I'm yep. familiar with the with the characters Apollo Two, and, and the Midnighter. Apollo and the Midnighter are essentially Batman and Superman analogs, right? And they are a couple. They are a perfectly you know rational, loving, gay couple. But DC had huge problems with Superman and Batman essentially being gay. So when they brought out this book that said um, you know it, it's essentially coming out and saying the Justice League or a reasonable facsimile thereof is this corrupt bunch of bastards and their offspring teenage kicks. The teen Titans are a bunch of sex perverts who are only in it for the drugs. 
You know, I am very surprised that it that it got greenlighted at DC. I'm really well, surprised. Well, that's the thing that they knew what Garth Ennis did in Preacher, which, you know, pretty much stomped all over religion, stomped all over ideals and uh, and and thoughts that people have. I'm only through the first two or three trades already, and it's, you know, it's intense. But they knew what they were going to get when when they signed him up. And if they had an editor that was yeah. doing a job, they would have looked at that first issue and said, eh, superhero blow jobs. Mm, we might need to check on this. The thing about it, though, is, yes, Preacher preacher had a lot of religion and Preacher had a lot of, you know, just complete perversity. There's the sequence where a character is having sex with a gutted fish, for right. instance. Right. But Preacher did not... F with DC's intellectual property, mm-hmm. the way the the Seven do, the way the Teenage Kicks do. Yeah, but so I can look at Wanted. I mean, Wanted is from Image, Top Cow, granted, but right. I mean, it's doing the exact same things with even more blatant characters like Shithead and and Fuckwit that right. uh, totally are doing the same thing to DC. It's like, hey, everybody, let's gang up on DC this week. Well, and this book has a lot in common with things books like Planetary, too. And Planetary was a huge hit for DC in 98-99. And things like, um, what is it, The Authority did the same thing. There are, there are a lot of books that are kind of treading in similar turf here. And I think DC may have thought they were getting something more akin to The Authority with a preacher vibe. Yeah. And what they really got was Garth Ennis goes wild. You know, if, if this was Mardi Gras, he'd be showing his tits everything is in this issue but the kitchen sink or in this trade paperback but it really it comes together based on the characterization and especially the characterization of starlight and we huey for me i've got the second trade here i haven't i haven't cracked it open yet Mm -hmm. um i don't know if it's because i'm behind on all my other reading or if it's because i was so shocked by this first trade that i don't know if i want to continue or not but I am interested. I, I do kind of want to see what happens. Uh, you know, I'm no prude. I mean, mm. I've, you know, <laughs> you don't want to look at my hard drive. That's for sure. Uh, nothing the shocks way, or um, surprises me. Somebody, I had to explain a donkey show to somebody the other day. I had to explain gerbling to somebody the other day. None of this stuff bothers me, okay? And I don't mind seeing it in comic books. I mm. really, really don't. Um, but it it's not something I expect in a superhero comic. Right, I guess. So i i liked I liked it, but also at the same time, I kind of am taken aback. See, yeah. for me, I and just, maybe that's a point. Well, the I'm I'm interested in the characters, and I'm interested in what's going on, and I'm curious about the history of this world. But a lot of the time, it's like for me, it's not like oh, grows more blood, or oh man, more sex, or deviant sex, or stuff like that. It's like okay. Here's another three solid pages devoted to a guy getting his face crushed in or devoted to these guys having deviant sex. You couldn't just give me two panels of it and then advance the story. like, And then you get another page of story and then another full page of this stuff. It's like, and it's it would be the same if it was just an idiotic superhero fight, just right. punch, punch, punch in the face, right? And not advancing the story, and plenty of story got advanced in this in these six pages, but I actually felt like, or in these six six uh, issues, but at the end, I actually felt like oh, that that was it. I actually didn't even get all that much about the boys themselves, you know. I I would agree with you there, and maybe that's the whole. Th- whole thing is that's the hook to get you into the next mm-hmm. six arc yeah. and the next arc and the next arc after that until you're you know 
20 issues in. Right. It's it's showing you the universe or the world, you know, I don't want to say universe, but it's showing you the the habitat in which these characters exist first. It's giving you the background to where when we get a little bit of butcher reality or a little bit of characterization from the Frenchman, granted down the line, when it comes around, you're like, that's what it's all about. To me, the first six issues were, honestly, they're not the best of the series to date, but they're a good entry point, and they really give you an idea of what they want to do. The shock is there for a reason. I don't necessarily know that it's related to the story, but it's there for a reason. It's there probably, you know, for some reason, boobies sell, uh, blood well, sells. I agree six, with you totally. Two. Yeah, I agree with so, you totally. I mean, I think this is a I think this is a good issue, uh, a good trade. I think people that can handle mature content and want a different take on the the superhero universe, something that I think makes it a little bit more interesting, I would recommend it. But, you know, from the feedback, the reader comments that we had this week, there were not as many as we've had on past titles that we've reviewed. Mm-hmm. We only had a couple, but they're both they're both glowing. Let's see. Um, yeah. Life is a glitch says um this series, a product of the twisted mind that calls itself Garth Ennis, is what got me back into comics, and also what got me checking out this fantastic site. You guys are doing an awesome job, by the way. <laughs> Yay! Thank you! I'm, I'm a big fan of the classic vintage-esque kind of superhero ideal, and that's also why I'm also a big fan of comics that go and deconstruct that, from Watchmen and Kingdom Come to the more grotesque The Boys and Wanted. And that's exactly what I've been reading, having grown tired of the classic heroics and being too young to have been following the Ultimate line or any new DC stories properly. To me, having read comics at age 13 and now returning four years later, it looks like a cluster bleep. (laughs) See, we should have told them that we were doing, uh, we were throwing the mature tag. We could have just said it. We can say fuck. It's cool. Yeah. We'll say it for you. Life is a glitch. Cluster fuck. Yeah. So for me reading alternative stuff like The Voice and... Uh, reading some of the great trade classics, Year One, T- uh, TDK, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, has been the only way to get back into comics, and I'm not complaining. There really is no greater jo- joy for me than reading Supreme Power, which is basically Marvel pulling the leg of their greatest competition, DC, or following the exploits of the oh-so-greatly dysfunctional Noble Clan. But it's, but I must say. I'm slowly returning to the more classic parts of superhero comics, and that Image Comics Invisible, Invincible is very much uh, what I have been originally looking for. But I must also say that with the quality of comics like Runaways and Kick-Ass, I'm not going to leave the alternative line for quite some time. All in all, I'm just happy to have made my return into the jungle of comic books, and I'm really pleased to be privileged with such talented and funny native guides as you three guys. So from me to you, thanks, you guys. Thank you very much, Life's a Glitch. And you know what? I, I think this other person, we don't have a lot of female readers to the site that I know about or ones that are vocal or ones that I would be surprised to read this. But I believe the next comment is from uh, a female listener. Matthew? I believe so. Uh, Jenna says, at the moment, The Boys is my favorite comic series and I love superheroes. But over the last few years, the idea of superheroes has appealed to me more than the execution provided by the big two, especially after Wildstorm slash DC repeatedly dropped the ball on the authority. Recently, I reread The Boys 1 through 6 after coming across a very negative renew and review rather or analysis of the first trade on scans daily. After rereading issues 1 through 6, I noticed the plot points set up at the beginning are slowly starting to pay off, and we are starting to get to know some of the characters better. Uh, she doesn't want to spoil anything. I'll spoil it for you. Rosebud is a sled. No! Um, 
I think that by the end of the series, I'm going to feel like an a-hole for laughing at the suck it scene. Uh, not just laughing, but going back and rereading the scene a few times to enjoy the confirmation that there really is a superhero casting couch. After all, how else did Mero get on the X-Men? Hey, she was Hello. well written for a while there. <laughs> yeah. What about Maggot? Come on, folks. You're not oh, telling me. Oh, man. Maggot, come on. I Maggot like those has, guys. No, Maggot has pictures of Professor X and a donkey. Yeah, he does. The artwork by Derek Robertson is fantastic. Uh, not on Professor X and the donkey, on the boys. <laughs> the level of detail in the issue always warrants a second look. The story is a little slow, and I agree with her there, but I'm guessing that the story is paced for the trades. I'm going to have to agree, and that's a whole other bigger issue. Yeah. Um, Jana hopes that we review more mature readers' books in the future, like our recent review of Wanted. You should go back and listen to it on the Major Spoilers podcast. Sorry. I've lost my place, but uh, Jana says she's going to go and dig out whatever long box the, the Wanted trade is in and reread it. Again, most of the response to the boys tends to be from people who are familiar with superhero comics or at least familiar with what you what you expect to get from a superhero comic i you and know this- I, I don't know if it's the art or the story or the you know the writer or whatever but you know i avoided the boys when it came out because i was like oh, i don't know garth ennis he did do that preacher thing and so i avoided right. it for a long time and then finally i was like okay matthew's going all nuts over this uh, boys on on the website Maybe I ought to go and read The Preacher. Everyone loves The Preacher. So I went and started getting the trades of The Preacher, and I really like that series too. Yes, it is. And so I think that there is a group of people, like Jaina's saying and like the other people have said and like you guys have said, I think you have to understand and appreciate what's being told because I think in a real world, there's no such thing as a superhero team that is all good. Well, I— I think, you know, this books like this and books like Wanted very much is, you know, if this if um, superhero comics are classical music, just, you know, as an example, this is Garth Ennis, uh, you know, saying, OK, here's all the all the cool stuff from it, but I'm going to make it all techno. You know, it, I mean, it is just him riffing on all everything that we already know about superhero comics. And somebody can pick this up and say, hey, this is a cool read. This is a good right. song. Right. Or they can, or and then there's a people who have been reading comic books who say, "Okay, well, I understand that moving line that's going up and that one that's going down. That's a tribute right. to this. That's this right. other thing." Right. I'm gonna give and, it a. I'm gonna give it a good recommendation. I'm gonna yeah. say, go ahead and read it. Mm-hmm. What about you? I I would say definitely you know, pick it up. Um, it's not my thing. I would. I, I mean, and the series by itself, the this six these six issues almost don't stand on their own, but. If you want some shock value, then definitely go get it. Um, I would probably not pick up the second trade, but this first trade was, you know, certainly good enough to have kicking around the house. Okay, Matthew, I would say just kind of uh, refining or kind of honing in on on you know Rodrigo's musical metaphor. If classic Gardner Fox Justice League is the Beatles, mm-hmm. this is the Sex Pistols. This is the punk. You know, the the reaction to that, it's taking the shock and it's making it a part of the art to, to make it, you know, sound really overeducated. The point of the boys is this is a story that we're telling about these characters, but the way we're telling it and the world we're telling it in is going to be violent. It's going to be shocking. It's going to be over the top. 
And that's going to be part of the fun. I would definitely recommend it. I, I've been reading it from the beginning, and I always pimp it really hard when I you know, review it on the website. It's a good book if it's something you're into. And if you're not interested in, you know, if the shock, if the blood, if the sex turns you off, then absolutely, you know, there are things out there that will appeal to you. But I think it's a good book, and I think it's got a lot going for it. It's The Boys, Volume 1, The Name of the Game, from Dynamite Entertainment. You can check it out on Amazon. We've got a link on the website, all that good stuff. And I think that about wraps it up for this week's show. I uh, want to thank everybody for listening, for subscribing. Please tell all your friends about the show. We've had people saying uh, who wrote this week saying, hey, I've canceled all my other podcasts but yours because I like yours so much. Tell your friends. Get yeah. them to subscribe. Get them to listen. Give us some ratings over at iTunes and Podcast Alley. You can vote for us over there. If you have any questions, if you have any comments about the show, we're always open. I'm getting emails daily, hourly sometimes, from readers who have listened to the show or been over to the Majorspoilers.com website. You can write to us at podcast at Majorspoilers.com. If you're on MySpace, you can friend us over at MySpace at MySpace.com slash Majorspoilers. Uh, we've got a pretty cool show coming up that I'm not going to tell you too much about until next week, but we know it's going to be a good one, and we know that you're going to like it because we know you love comics, and we do too, and we'll see you next time. Blarney Blarney cock. Cock. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.